0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Desert Island Dishes with me, Margie. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island if you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do. It only takes a few seconds and I know I'm always banging on about it, but genuinely it is very much appreciated and I read them all. So I hope you're all having a good week. Thank you so much for the lovely emails you keep sending me about the podcast. I'm genuinely blown away to have so many of you listening and you all seem to be telling your friends, which is amazing. Thank you. This week, I wanted to put out one of the earlier episodes with the amazing Jenny. So many more people are listening now, and with such a big back catalogue, I thought some of you may not have gone back and listened to this one, but it's well worth a listen. I first came across Jenny and her amazing business years ago now, and genuinely just thought it was the best idea ever for a business. And it's been so inspiring to see her go from strength to strength. I just love speaking to these amazing entrepreneurs doing incredible things and hearing how they got to where they are today. I find it very inspiring and I know you'll enjoy hearing from Jenny, the condiment queen. That isn't her official title, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Today's castaway is Jenny Costa. Jenny founded Rubies in the Rubble back in 2011, which started out as a stall in Borough Market, and now her products are stocked in Waitrose, Selfridges, Harrods, and many, many more places. Jenny studied maths at university before working for a hedge fund in the city for two years. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do with her degree, but she knew she wanted to do something of her own and to do something she was passionate about after coming across the fact that half of all the food we produce is never used and yet billions of people don't have enough to eat rubies in the rubble was born jenny has said we need to start valuing food again treating it like treasure and seeing it as something precious rather than a cheap commodity welcome to desert island dishes thank jenny thank you <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know what is rubies in the rubble
1: Rubies in the Rubble is a brand of delicious tasting condiments made from fruit and veg that would otherwise be discarded. Amazing. Thank
0: you. (laughs) I remember reading about you right back when you started and I just thought it was just the most genius idea. Was it a
1: real light bulb moment? I think people always start businesses in really different ways. And I had been brought up on a farm on the west coast of Scotland in the middle of nowhere. I mean, my best friend was my sister. Not... So much out of choice, but actually oh, we, she was she, so, I mean, we get on wonderfully still. But She'll um, be delighted to hear that. <laughs> yeah. She'd probably say the same, but she is still my best friend. And we were such a close-knit, small family. But being in the middle of nowhere, you don't eat out as much. You were growing everything. My mother's an amazing um, fruit and veg gardener and she would grow fruit and veg that would last the whole winter round. She was wow. always thinking of clever ways to preserve it. And we were always really imaginative as well in the kitchen. We always had different rotas going during the week where one week was make feed the family for under, I don't know what it was in those days, but under a couple of pounds um, or That's feed so cool. the family for anything on the farm or Italian night and things. And even even from being really young, food was very exciting and fun. And it was always a new sort of playful element to it, but really resourceful as well. And then... I went off to university, I did a master's and I ended up just following everyone else and went straight into, I got a, a job in a hedge fund in city, in the city of London and didn't really think about what I wanted to do, but I, it was great having money. straight yeah. <laughs> And I was there for about two and a half years, but probably within a year realized I was in the wrong place. And I kept on having this sort of thought in the back of my head of, if I'm still here by the time I'm 40, I'll be really disappointed. Like I really want to do something that I'm passionate about. And sadly, finance, just I wasn't passionate about it. And then randomly one day I read an article on food waste and it wasn't something that I'd ever really thought of as a big issue because at home we were always sort of very resourceful or thought about things. And the more I read about how much 40% of farms' crop um, is often rejected, it was a third of food that we waste um, globally. And the cost of that food waste, um, the environmental impact—it's the um, the biggest single contributor to carbon a carbon footprint globally. I, I just couldn't understand the numbers. It also didn't make business sense to yeah. me as well that we're waste we're so wasteful. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and when we're sort of worried and panicked about feeding the globe sort of sustainably in the future as yeah. a growing population. I just wanted to raise awareness of this, but also to create a really positive solution to it and something that could sit on a shelf and people could enjoy and buy into it. Um, so it was very quick after reading articles, I then started going along to big markets and seeing things with my own eyes. And as I cycled away from one one night, I just thought of my mother preserving things. I said, like, I'm going to start a fun brand. I'm going to take fruit and veg that's discarded." in big volume and turn it into a range of relishes and condiments and call it rubies in the rubble. Oh, I just love it so much. And yeah, when you put it like that, it is just a no
0: brain. It's kind of unbelievable that no one was doing it before, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I I suppose people have been doing it for generations in their own homes. Yeah. But it was such a taboo, especially back in 2010, when I started researching food waste. It was a very hippie notion and people thought of bin divers or... Um, well, yeah, food I want to and- ask you about that. But
0: let's, <laughs> let's take a pause and talk about your first desert island dish of the day. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: This is probably a bit of an odd one, but <laughs> cheese souffle. Oh, yeah. nothing <laughs> odd about a cheese souffle. Yum. It was always something. Mum was really good at making cheese souffles. And even when I was really young, always loved them. And uh, it was a Sunday night uh, meal and she would put one in the auger and then we'd and it was always you had to be there at the right time yep. cuz it might flop and it was just such a delicious and light and sort of almost pillowy cloudy meal with a bit of salad alongside it or some potatoes i loved it so it's a really comfort meal for me definitely that's a Great option. Are you good at
0: making your own souffles? I actually have never <laughs> tried. <laughs> they're actually easier than they look. You should. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I think people are always really scared of them because when you take them out of the oven, you do kind of have to eat them. But yeah. they're
1: easier. Oh, than I you might, It might lose my magic. Yeah. When I
0: realize <laughs> oh no! I, ru- I ruined your memory. <laughs> So I read that when you started, you didn't always get a positive response from the borrow market customers because they weren't used to the idea of using these kind of ingredients and the idea that it, it's not actually waste, it's just surplus product that, that you're using.
1: Right right at the back be- at the beginning, actually for the first six months or so, I never really told the story of how we made the products on the back of, of, of the pack. Just because of Borough Market, and as I started explaining things, and people were trying and tasting things, and I started explaining the ethos behind the brand, I could see people hesitating and putting things back. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's probably the language I was using as well, because it's very hard to describe it in a quick sentence. And as soon as you call it food waste, and I, I really shouldn't call it food waste because it's it's not waste; it's perfectly good produce that's the wrong shape or size yeah. or color, and and it's really just about people seeing food as a natural product comes out of the ground in all shapes and sizes it's yeah. dependent on the weather can change if it starts raining before the harvest or or whatever that those reasons are um so and but actually since then food waste has become such a topical notion and people really they have made the link between sustainability with it, that it's a really positive story. Definitely.
0: Yeah, it does seem, obviously there's still a long way to go, but we have made progress.
1: I was just going to say,
0: I mean, it's not the same thing as this at all, but I always get really nervous when I buy cakes from a bake sale because I always just, imagine lots of cats in the kitchen and (laughs) and I guess it's the same kind of thing like you say waste and you imagine people kind of rummaging through a bin but obviously that is not the case
1: (laughs) yeah and I think I think it's so right as well even in the presentation of something on a cake uh, stall yeah but with our products I was really passionate As well for the first six months to make sure that they sold just on taste. Yeah. um, And that they were great tasting products and people wanted to put them with something else. And And I
0: think you're so clever because they're premium products and they look premium, they taste premium. And then it's sort of, yeah, the dichotomy of the message behind it.
1: Yeah. Very clever. (laughs) Thank you. We're really passionate about that. And it's sort of telling the story that it is 100% fruit and, uh, fresh fruit and veg, direct from the farm. It's never been in a freezer or a fridge mm. and it's, it's it almost enhances the products. Um, yeah, definitely. No, we've got a lot of great taste awards, which we're so passionate and yeah, proud of. Yeah, it's
0: amazing. Okay, let's talk about your second Desert Island dish of the day and that's the first dish you learned to cook.
1: This first my first ever dish. actually doesn't have great memories for me. Well, it was probably the one highlight of nursery. Oh, I used yeah. to cry going to nursery every single day. Oh, no. And <laughs> mum used to remember putting me in the pickup truck and driving me there, just floods of tears. And she was always felt really bad about dropping me off. But also wanted her spare time. With yeah. Those. But the one great thing was that we occasionally had, we had tiny little hobs and we would make um, chocolate Rice Krispies. Oh. And yeah. yeah that and, doesn't sound all bad. <laughs> it, was, it was the real highlight. And I used to remember, I loved just stirring it, mel- melting the butter, getting the chocolate in. And then bringing something home that you were really excited by and yeah, to eat. That's such a cool... Yeah, I'm so
0: glad that people do that at nursery. That's so fun. Yeah,
1: it was great. I do remember a lot of... It was always that grab around the upper part of your arm that always felt that when you were getting dragged around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the nursery, that's the biggest
0: memory. Also, I wonder how much of the Rice Krispies actually made it into the cake wrappers and actually <laughs> just like eat them with a spoon. So I read a piece where you said that you'd been cooking at home and you'd been using all the damsons and you made damson pie, damson and gin, dams and jam. Can we talk about dams and gin? Because is it similar to slow gin?
1: Yeah, I suppose it is. Exactly the same sort of um, you you let it sit in the in the gin once or however you 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 would choose to make it, or your base alcohol. But yeah, very similar to that. Yum, that's yeah. delicious. I um, read that and I just couldn't stop thinking gin. about it.
0: <laughs> Me too. (laughs) Gin's the best. Um, So yeah, obviously the most important thing with the business is that the ingredients you use have to pass the taste test and it's not about a beauty contest. And I wondered, there has been in recent years, a surge by supermarkets to use wonky veg. But who decided in the first place that consumers wanted perfect looking vegetables? Like, how did that become a thing?
1: I actually, I don't know which way round it was. We've done a lot of work with the sustainability teams and actually Tesco's are probably the, the, the they were the first to drive oh, really? food waste forward and to try and reduce it in their stores and upstream and downstream of their supply chain. There's been a lot of trialing of putting all sorts of shapes, fruit and veg yeah. um, on the shelves. And when they tried to just mix it all in together, they always said that the wonky ones never sold, and they were always the ones that were left. And so they were playing to what the consumer wanted, um, and that they didn't want to fill their shelves to something that the consumer never bought. Yeah. So I think it is a bit of a chicken and an egg. You go to to Europe and or this continent, and and actually France, Spain, they're incredibly good at just everything is all sorts of yeah. shapes and sizes and they just chuck it all in. It is Very so weird. Seasonal.
0: It's so strange that that became a thing that we just like cared for. Yeah. I mean, like talk about
1: impossible beauty standards for humans and now <laughs> we're putting it on our vegetables. It's there's, crazy. There's also a lot now, I mean, I've seen a lot of supermarkets trying to do wonky fruit and veg boxes. And um we were talking to one of the farmers and he said there's somebody on the line looking out for the odd shaped oh. one. <laughs> um, and so it became almost another job because people didn't want just sort of oh my smaller God. ones or slightly out of spec. So but an apple that's just a bit bigger in dimension. They wanted the real freaks. Oh my um, goodness, that's like creating
0: a whole new problem. Yeah.
1: So that the, they're not
0: wonky enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay. Moving on to the third desert island dish of the day. That is the best dish that you've ever eaten.
1: Oh, I feel like this is a game I play a lot with friends, but best dish I've ever eaten was, I was really fortunate to travel around Japan when I was about, must be about 22. And I think in Tokyo on the um, fish market at about 5am and having platters of sashimi and different little rolls I and mean, it was fantastic oh but just being that fresh i am obsessed with japanese cooking and i think anything done sort of in their beautiful delicate way that they do things is so meticulous and all about ingredients and flavors and combinations and keeping things clean and simple um, that would be the dish that I would want as my, my last dish of life. Oh, no, we're going to get on to that oh, later, no. Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come up with
0: another one. Um, are you good at cooking Japanese food?
1: Not very good. My sister's actually really good. She, she sort of bought all the rolling kits and things, but I can do occasional things for miso soup and things. For yeah. um, You're a better eater of I'm Japanese food. I'm a better eater, <laughs> yeah. There's other people that do it better.
0: <laughs> so I read an interview where you said at the beginning, everyone was like love the story but no one buys chutneys yeah. and you sort of I feel single-handedly brought chutneys back because they're no longer oh, retro yeah. have you always made chutneys
1: yeah I mean my mum childhood memories were there was always a pot on the boil and mum is not a, a sort of a lover of cooking she's good she's fine at cooking but she's yeah. not as a sort of typical housewife cook and with a like her cakes are often an inch high and never yeah. rising but um, let's hope she doesn't listen to this jenny <laughs> sure she'd agree. Uh, she's an artist and she's really creative and her passions were really gardening and because she put so much work into growing her fruit and veg she'd always make sure that she was turning it into something and her signature chutney was or it still is rhubarb chutney Um, and yeah people everybody's obsessed with it would you have that with something savory yeah i I mean the typical use is sort of with cheese and bread and and ham and things but actually as a home we have it on the table for every meal and we'll put it with meats or salads and all sorts of things that sounds amazing but yeah and i think growing up with seeing that and seeing that it's an easy thing. She'd have something on the boil and be in and out of the kitchen. And she would always say, you just need to get your ratios of sugar, vinegar, and fruit together. And then you can really play with all your spices and add roasted nuts or or whatever you fancy putting in. I mean, yeah, they are a great condiment. Yeah, (laughs)
0: that's one of the best. Um, But so obviously the food mission is an enormous one, but then to be focusing on a product that wasn't necessarily trendy
1: at the time. I feel like you set yourself a big task. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking back, I and mean, I've had it so many times in, in the past where I just thought, why why didn't I go into something that was already a weekly shopping bag purchase from the majority of people in the country? Um, and it still does I sort of, I think as a brand, we often question sort of what we stand for. And I think it's really good to know what your purpose is and your aim is the whole time. And it it makes decisions of what products you go into very easily. Yeah. And so the lovely thing with a chutney or a relish is that it naturally preserves fruit and veg and extends the shelf life and adds value. And that is in itself sort of, incorporates what our brand stands for. it makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But now we're looking, I mean, we've just launched a range of three ketchups that are again, quite funky, fun flavors, and we're constantly looking to innovate new areas. So all of our relishes, I think, are really playful and and they're not the typical kind of traditional chutneys. No, they're all really Um, creative. mm.
0: But when you were starting and you were going to the buyers and you were telling them the story... And they were saying, oh, you know, we don't yeah. know what to do with chutneys. How did you overcome? We you actually overcome- had
1: a lot of buyers when they tasted our chutneys, just being like, you shouldn't call them chutneys. You should call them relishes because okay. I immediately... I been calling them chutneys. No, no, I, say, I call them <laughs> chutneys as well the whole time. But they were sort of saying... Immediately, if you say relish, it opens it up to me thinking I can put this in my burger. Or I can put this on the menu alongside an egg. Can- That's so true. And it's, it's to, our, our spicy tomato is used with masses of brunch cafes that, that put it with a poached egg. It goes really well with avocado on toast. It's fantastic with hummus. It's, it's incredibly fresh and because they're 80% fruit. Um they don't it's not the typical sort of dried fruits or sugary base it they are really sort of lighter, yeah,
0: how interesting is that that the difference that one word can make oh yeah, it's
1: amazing the same product amazingly different yeah, um, but we we are now sort of thinking, I think we have been very fortunate as a brand to first of all, we're a very unique and quite um a small and different brand for people to switch over to from buying anything else. And then we're selling them a product that they never knew they wanted or needed. So we're really hoping we're we're launching into mayonnaises and the ketchups that that will be an easier way to get into people's Sort of mindset of it's, it's an easier switch if they're going if they're normally buying ketchup to switch and just try something new
0: yeah and um, then that's
1: a good gateway exactly. for the rest of the brand and then we'll like get them it. on the
0: banana ketchup yeah no I want to <laughs> ask you about the banana ketchup but let's take a pause and talk about the fourth desert island dish of the day and that is your favorite sandwich
1: oh we used to have competitions at home on our sandwich making did you win? Ah, dad is actually very good. It's all about getting right to the crust and the edges. (laughs) (laughs) I love a competitive dad. (laughs) But I think now though, nowadays, my favorite, I like, I'm obviously obsessed with my condiments. So I probably put my, the spicy tomato on with um, some hummus. Yeah. um, Slices of avocado if I can. But if I like just a strong, mature cheddar and, and then a lid on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds great. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, I Actually, if I could have a choice, I'd probably toast the bread unless it's sort of very, very fresh and great, but I do like a bit of toasted sourdough yeah. or something.
0: Mm, yeah. That sounds like a great sandwich. I'm going to have to go home and make that now. Um, so you are very clear that the business is very much a business and not a charity. Mm. And it's just a genius business model because at the start, you were i understand literally getting the ingredients for free or or how did it work
1: yeah um so at the beginning we when i first started the first 2 years we had we were working in our own kitchen and i employed women from crisis a homeless shelter and they would help make the products and we were based on a whole, wholesale fruit and veg market where they started at midnight and finished around 6am. And so when we arrived at seven and we went around the market and and took any unsold fruit and veg that was destined for the tip and they got charged per pallet to throw away anything. And so we, we would pay a nominal price just so that it was a sale and, and it got classified as a sale, but it was incredibly cheap. It was if you'd get a pallet or a Tray of mangoes for forty p. Or and her. did they
0: did the traders look at you like you were mad? Or no, I think they, they love it. What, yeah, yeah, they love
1: what we were trying to do, and it was they love that we are supporting women in the area as well. Yeah. And it saved them money by having, instead of having I mean, yeah, to throw it, just, it away. So it just makes so much sense. Yeah. It worked really, really well. And then as we grew, I, I think the fruit and veg on a wholesale fruit and veg market is really on its last legs. It couldn't, it wouldn't be good the next day. Yeah. And so we could turn it into a product that day and, and preserve it. Whereas the real food waste that I was wanting to tackle was on large scale farmers that had supermarket contracts and they it was that the the apple was over 70 millimeters or a banana had the wrong curvature oh god
0: so depressing
1: (laughs) cucumber hit a hit a sort of branch and didn't sort of grow straight so it couldn't fit in the plastic sleeve and oh my god that's so sad yeah and
0: and for those a cucumber that can't fit in the plastic sleeve it's heartbreaking all the bendy ones get left (laughs) But this this was obviously a really good place to start.
1: Yeah. And it really helped us learn about the seasons, learned about what reasons something would um would be discarded for. And then from there we started getting approached by large scale farmers and we started working direct with them. And and then I really wanted, just because again, looking back at what our purpose was, was to say that this had value and this was perfectly good fruit and veg. And so to make sure we always paid the farmers for their produce. Yeah. And it's definitely a discounted cost because it costs us a lot more to have to process it than machine done. Um, But it allowed us to create a really good relationship with the
0: farmers. Yeah. And then I was reading, I don't know if this is true, but so now you work with... Huge people like Virgin, and you'll go and you'll collect all of the apples that are left over from the trains' catering service, and then you turn them into a chutney, and then you sell them back
1: (laughs) to Virgin. (laughs) I mean, that's just incredible. We have a wonderful relationship with Virgin. Yeah, they they approached us about a year and a half ago and said we have some apples and bananas wasted on our trains. Could you do anything with them? And I assumed it would be a basket or two, and so I was really hesitant. Why don't you? Used to monitor it for three months and then come back to us and see what that looks like every week, and they came back um, saying, "Well, on average each week it's around a thousand apples and a thousand three hundred bananas." And so we thought, "Wow!" And we couldn't understand it at the beginning, but they said, "Well, we do ninety journeys up and down from London to Glasgow every single day." And for especially for our first class, we're wanting to refresh that fruit and veg bowl. We, ne- uh, we never know if people are going to take an apple or not. And so we've got to make sure that there's stuff waiting for there, there at the end of the line. And it's a lot of lot of journeys. And then over the week, it builds up. And so from there, we then trained all the managers on the train. Instead of just chucking them, they would put them back in the ones that were perfect and weren't unbru- uh, didn't have bruises and things. They put them back in the boxes and put them on the train and take them back down to Houston. And when they had a full pallet, which was about every 10 days, we would take that, which is around a ton, and turn it into the West Coast apple chutney, which we created for the trains. And we sold it back on, in little glass jars for the cheese boards on first class. And now it's just launched into their standard sandwiches as well. That is so oh, it's clever. that's great. And I love the way that they think about business, yeah. business bothered to care about
0: it and, yeah, and, and wanted so, to do something about it. It's so great that they approached you and that businesses are starting to think about yeah. that kind of thing. It's great. So I have a question. Mm. It might be a silly one, but I feel like you have started a bit of a trend and now there are other companies doing not the same thing, but similar things in, in using excess fruits. And I wondered is the problem so big that the more of these companies the better or are you now having to compete for surplus crops
1: the problem is huge i mean in the uk with it can be seasonal but for example currently we're working very closely with one Large tomato farmer in Kent, and he has between fifteen and thirty tons of tomatoes every week being discarded. And he calls, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, and that's one farmer. And that he he actually is very good at dealing with his waste, but it's because supermarket contracts. He never he can't quite. They'll never give him an actual forecast. They give him a predicted forecast, and so he's always wanting to make sure that he has enough. And it be, tomatoes being so perishable as well. If they haven't got a buyer they're going to go to waste within 10 days. So there is an enormous amount of surplus out there. Farmers work so hard and I, it's yeah. just awful. Well, that, that I think as well, the amount of work that goes into yeah. growing something and getting it to your plate. But I, no, I would really encourage people to to get in. And, and it's hard, I think, in the scaling up stage. We found that really hard and to sort of find your way and find where the problem is that you're going to address. Yeah, but as a as a brand or rubies in the rubble what i'm passionate about is food resources and food sustainability yeah and I believe that the planet has the resources to feed its people. We just need to look after food and treat it better. So if we ever got to a point where food was food waste wasn't the problem, I don't feel like as a brand I'm addressing food waste, I'm addressing food resources, and I would look into the next sure most resourceful way. And I, I think it's really interesting. I don't know what that would look like at the moment of whether it's local or seasonal or at the moment we are vegan as a brand, but I definitely enjoy meat and, and um, just make sure it's sourced properly and and reduce my amount. But it'd be interesting to see what that next product could be. Yeah, really interesting. (laughs) Watch this space. So the fifth Desert
0: Island dish of the day is the dish that you eat the most often.
1: It's probably very boring because I'm at work Every lunchtime, yeah. My most is I used to hate soups, and I couldn't understand why anyone would eat soup. And now I've really got into oh, the, really? Yeah, big, <laughs> a chunky soup is like my go-to. What would be your go-to flavor? Recently, I've been getting into pea and mint. Oh, that's a good combo. It's <laughs> a great combo, yeah. but it's I I. You need a good bit of chunk of bread or something alongside it just to keep you going. Yeah, definitely. It's... Are you making the soup yourself? No, certainly not.
0: <laughs> we don't all have time to be making soups yeah. all the time. We've
1: got some lovely little sandwich places nearby. Are you a summer super? No, no. not really. And summer are more salads for lunch. Yeah. But in the evening, I suppose, that's, I think, where you get your diversity. But in the in yeah. lunchtime, we're just having the same got it. I've got to get out of it.
0: But I think a lot of people are creatures of habit when it comes to food. Like I definitely get into cycles where I just like obsessively have the same thing every day. And then two weeks later, I'm like, (laughs) on to the next. And let's talk about the actual products themselves. I'm obsessed with the tomato chutney. It's so good. And I really want to try the banana ketchup. I wondered, do you still make any of the original offerings?
1: Yeah, I um, weirdly made um, some, especially some of the tomato stuff just the other day. And we used to have a green tomato chutney, which we never sort of took mainstream, but I loved it. And I had a load of green tomatoes, so I made another little batch. But I'm normally just making chutneys out of things, especially when when I'm at home and we've got a, a sort of glut of something. Yeah. Um, playing around with those. But because, because every day I'm surrounded by jars, I'm yeah. often just grabbing one off the shelf instead. <laughs> yeah, that's <I'm> definitely, definitely <laughs> understandable. <laughs> What's the most popular product? The most popular is actually probably the spicy tomato yeah. um, chutney. It's I think it's such an all-rounder. It's really unique. It's the first product we ever made. Great Taste Award winner. And it's it's just been a fantastic seller. I think because it has got that freshness. And again, especially because a lot of people are eating a lot of hummus, a lot of avocados, brunch places love it. It, it has a real all-rounder. Um, and then slowly getting in the fiery tomato ketchup, which we've based on sun-dried tomatoes is becoming very popular. Yum. Um, that also got a great taste of war this year. And then our banana ketchup.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about the banana ketchup. Are you are you having that
1: with savory? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we did used to make, it was a banana chutney and it was it sold on a cardo and it was always very small sales, but it did very well and had great reviews. And last year we decided this is silly. We've got to really tighten our range and we took it off, off the shelf and we suddenly got a flood of emails from people. people were rioting. You were (laughs) wondering where it had gone from. (laughs) And so we started emailing back asking what they used it for. And and, um, what did they use it for? They kept on saying, well, I put it on a chicken burger. I have it along with halloumi, grilled halloumi. I put it with sweet potato and it's just, it's fantastic. It's got that chili and the ginger and it's, Great with Caribbean food or Indian food. It's sort of a, like this
0: is a stupid question, but mm. does it taste really banana
1: I mean, you definitely can taste banana. If you yeah. didn't like bananas, you wouldn't like it, but it's, it's got the sweetness of, I suppose it's naturally very sweet because yeah. of the bananas. Then you've got the heat of the chili and the garlic and the um, ginger coming through. It's actually banana ketchup is a big seller in Indonesia. And I can't remember what state it is in America, but it's quite a Caribbean oh, is it of, um, thing and. So when we sort of brought it over, a lot of people were like, oh, I've had that before and it's Caribbean foods and it is very good with sweet potato. But yeah, so when we got that feedback, we decided to take it out of a small glass jar and put it in a bottle and sell it as a ketchup. And suddenly sales just flew. And it's really funny how you position something. Yeah, it's really interesting. How people are going to then think of how they use it as well.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well done, Jenny. <laughs> um, right, we're on to the sixth desert island dish of the day and that is your go-to dinner party dish.
1: Oh, um, go-to dinner party dish is probably, I think I i still have this uh, hope that my dinner parties are going to look a little bit like Ottolenghi's yes. <laughs> So it's often a lot of big um, salads, uh, normally a lot of cooked grilled salads as well with with lots of grains and there's always some pomegranates in there and grilled pomegranate. a pomegranate. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I love um, meals where you can have a little bit of different things and it obviously goes very well with condiments as well. Um, but I love that sort of sharing and big sort of feast style dinner parties. It's also incredibly easy because you can do a lot of it beforehand and then be really relaxed when everyone arrives. Yeah, I think that's definitely the key, isn't it? You don't want to be like in oh, the
0: kitchen, chained to the times. oven. Yeah. Yeah. Never a cheese souffle for a dinner. No. Oh my goodness, no. Cheese souffle is reserved for Sunday nights. Yeah. Definitely. So I liked your advice that I read where you said that people should have a good rummage in their fridge and cupboards before they go shopping because it is really easy to forget what you've got in there. And that's just like a small thing that people can do to make a difference. And I wondered, do you have a fallback dish that after you've done your fridge raid, you always cook?
1: Um, I was known... So before I started Ruby's in the Rubble and Frith, who was one of my best friends that I lived with for a long time, she's a loves cooking. And even on a so Monday night, she'd come back and she would have dreamed about making some roast and doing a jus alongside of these. And I would always just look at what's in the fridge, put everything together. And normally it had a lot of condiments going with it. And my fallback is normally a real sort of mishmash of, it ends up almost like a stew. Okay. But it'll just be chopped up, whatever vegetables. I'll even put lettuce lettuce in there if I chop it finely enough. I used to live in Hong Kong and so they use a lot of lettuce in their cooking. Yeah, lettuce soup is delicious. Yeah. Really good. And you can, because it goes with anything, it's a good bulker if you're Putting in tomatoes and then yes.
0: carrots and all sorts. That's a good tip actually, because yeah, you often have a bit of a sad-looking lettuce
1: in the yeah. fridge. But <laughs> if you know that you can cook them, yeah, yeah. And then I think in the store cupboard, um, I've normally always got tin tomatoes, chickpeas, and then masses of different spices. Because if I'm staring in the fridge and there's just nothing. Doing a poached egg with a a lovely thick stew like that can be an easy go-to. If in doubt, put an egg on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're up to the final desert island dish of the day, which is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. You are allowed three courses. Oh, great. The dish is misleading in that um, question.
1: Great. That really helps. And when if I said I wanted to say Japanese, can I go all sorts? Can I have some sushi? Can I have some miso? Can I have a bit of teriyaki? I'm very generous. So I'm <laughs> right. going to say yes. Yeah. Okay. So it would be like going to my favourite Japanese restaurant to start. Where is your favourite um, Japanese restaurant? Oh, it probably would be in Asia. Okay. Um, but in London, there's one or two that actually eat Tokyo, terrible name, but just behind Notting Hill Station. Oh
0: my it's goodness. That's really good. Yeah. Really, really, Really
1: good. good. Um, fish cuts yeah might Um, edit that out so no one else goes there (laughs) it's quite small
0: it's really small
1: (laughs) um so I'd I'd probably have a, a real feast of Japanese and then I would have a cheese platter of all sorts of cheeses and condiments and then I'm going to go basic with some ice cream. And yes. but I'd have all sorts of flavors. I love ice cream. Um, Nothing
0: wrong with that, Jenny. And
1: then I'd probably pop and yeah. uh, pop my way into heaven. <laughs> we'll and float me. you over
0: to the desert <laughs> island. <laughs> You're allowed to take one luxury item. Can I take Spotify, or does that not work? On some, I mean i think you can yeah like you're not allowed the internet but we'll we'll make it work yeah basically we'll just give you like a never-ending music supply yeah yeah that'd be lovely (laughs) you you can have that and with that we're gonna cast you off thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island dishes thank
1: you very fun
0: (laughs) i mean isn't that a cool business I love how the power of a word, from chutney to relish, can change a business. You hear that kind of thing all the time. I mean, I guess it's the whole premise behind marketing, but it's kind of fun when you hear about it in action. I can vouch for the deliciousness of the spicy tomato chutney, which is genuinely amazing, so, so good in a sandwich, and with just about anything. It's so fresh and, well, it's just great. I almost edited out her recommendation of Eat Tokyo, which happens to be one of my favorites, but I like you all too much, so I wouldn't deprive you of an excellent recommendation like that. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and do leave a review as it really helps more listeners to find the podcast, which is great. Thank you and good night. I mean, goodbye. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs)